Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. If you have your Bibles, open up to... Uh, Genesis chapter 29. And remember the series that we're doing, which I planned really months ago, uh, was hiding in Christ. The idea that when there's pain, when there's suffering, when there's shame, when there's sin, we're all tempted to hide somewhere. And the only right place to hide is in Christ, but we try to hide in all different sorts of places. And what we're going to look at uh, this morning is the idea of trying to hide in our idols. Now what do I mean by that, hiding in our idols? Um, you know, when we talk about idols today, we don't primarily mean bowing down to a stone temple or statue and praying that it would take us to heaven one day. Uh, it's more good things that we turn into a God thing, an ultimate thing. This thing can give me meaning. This thing can give me significance or satisfaction or sense of security in life. And C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he said, the sad history of humans is that we've been seeking to find happiness apart from God. And ultimately, you only find happiness in God, and we try to seek happiness, ultimate happiness, away from Him. That's where we get in trouble. Tim Keller, uh, it turns the good thing, an idol, it turns the good thing into an absolute that overturns every other allegiance or value. Anything that becomes more important and non-negotiable to us than God becomes an enslaving idol. We know a good thing has become a counterfeit God, when it demands on you, when its demands on you exceed proper bounds, idolatry is looking to some other created thing to provide the power, approval, comfort, and security that only God can provide. Here's Rebecca Pipperett. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. So as we go through this today, we're going to look at different idols. Okay? I want you to just, listen, I'm not even asking you to be honest with anybody else right now. I'm just asking you to be honest with yourself, which a lot of times is hard enough, isn't it? What's the main idol in life that you are currently struggling with? And if you're like, I'm doing the best I've ever done. I really feel like I'm seeking all my joy in Jesus. Praise the Lord. Then what's the, what's the greatest competitor Right, that's right there kind of tempting you all the time? And we're going to look at the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. What we're going to see is they all had different idols, but they had idols nonetheless. So let's start in Genesis chapter 29. Skip down to the verse 13. We're going to read a lot of this, but not necessarily all of it because I think that you're fairly familiar with this story. Right, now remember what we looked at last week. If you weren't here and just came for breakfast this week, okay? last week uh, what we saw with Jacob is he, he wasn't loved by his father. So he, he was craving a sense of wanting to be loved, which again, and this is so important to understand, guys. Is it wrong to want to be loved? No. Is it wrong to want to be loved by your dad? Absolutely not. Okay? But even if you get loved by your dad, if you had the best dad in the universe, that won't satisfy the deepest desires of your soul. So then he's like, well, what if I get the birthright from my brother, right? And he manipulated and he got it. Did it make him happy? Nope, didn't do it. He's like, now I got to get the blessing from my daddy. And he got it. Did it make him happy? Nope, still didn't make him happy. And so he's run away now, and we're going to look at his next idol. Uh, Genesis chapter 29, skip down to verse 13. 
So when Laban, hey, this is going to become his father-in-law, heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he related to Laban all these things. Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Be because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, and Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now this kind of sets the trajectory for what we're about to look at. We're not really going to focus on Laban, but you, if we had time, you could mix him in. Laban's real idol is money. That's what he cares about. I don't know if you remember, but when Abraham sent his servant to find a uh, wife for Isaac... He sent him laden with lots of gold and treasure and jewels. And Laban remembers that. He was there then. So he's thinking, oh, here comes another one of those Abraham family people. Probably got a lot of money. Then he gets around and he's like, he ain't got nothing. He's on the run for his life. He's like, well, I got to think of some way to squeeze something out of him. Okay? Everybody is idolizing something in life. Okay? But let's, let's focus on Jacob's. Now, just so you can understand, um, verse 17. Okay? Leah's eyes were weak. We don't know exactly what that means. It might mean there was some type of deformity with her eyes. She was cross-eyed or something. Or it might be more of a way to say, you know, sometimes you say, uh, you know, that person is easy on the eyes and it's kind of a compliment. You know, they're nice to look at. It's kind of like uh, she's not easy on the eyes. She's hard to look at. She's the older sister, but she's the uglier sister. It's what it's clearly trying to tell us. And then verse 17, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. That's a nice proper Hebrew Old Testament way to say she had a great face and she had a great body. Okay, so it's, it's highlighting her sexual attractiveness. And let's look at what Jacob is going to do with this. Um, start in verse 18. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now you go back and do a little study. The going price for a bride back then was about 30 to 40 shekels. A worker could make maybe eight, 18 shekels in a year. So in some sense, he's, he's offering three to four times the amount that you would normally offer. And you've got to wonder why. Maybe he's trying to impress her. He's so smitten with her, he just wants to show off. I'll give you seven years for her. Maybe he's desperate. That's a lot of times what idols do, right? They make you desperate. You crave it so much, I have to have it. He's trying to lock her down that nobody could come in there and be a competitor. That's probably more likely. Okay? Idols make you so desperate, they make you dumb. They make you make really bad decisions. And if you're like, I'm not sure that's what's going on here, just wait. Verse 19. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. You notice Laban's words there? He didn't really make a deal, did he? He's like, well, you know, I'd rather give her to you and nobody else. Stay. I mean, he's real slippery with his words. I mean, Jacob was a master manipulator, but he has met his match in Laban. Guys, there is some truth in the world to what goes around comes around. Sometimes God does say, you treat other people in this sinful way, and I'll work it out where you'll get a taste of your own medicine to humble you. And that's what's about to happen to Jacob. Okay. Keller again says, he doesn't have his father's affirmation and blessing. He feels the need to force life to give him the honor and blessing and the things he wants. Part of what I'm wanting to see here in Jacob is, you pursue one idol, it doesn't work. Nine times out of ten, we're not godly enough at that point to repent and say, I'm sorry, I'll never seek satisfaction in an idol again. We just say, well, that idol didn't work. Let me try another idol. You see how Jacob's doing that? And it just keeps getting us into trouble. So, um, verse 20. 
So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed, that I may go into her. Again, just pause for a second. Okay. I think everybody in here, you know, has, has been through the engagement and the marriage process. Okay? So just, just go back to the days of engagement in your mind. Okay? And if you're the woman in this picture, imagine you standing with your dad and your fiancé, husband-to-be, comes up and says these words. And if you're the man, put yourself, okay, in the husband-to-be, coming up to your wife-to-be and her father standing there, about to be your father-in-law, and what you say to him is, hey, time for the marriage, give me your daughter so I can have sex with her. Or more literally, give me your daughter so that I can go into her. I mean, even today, in 21st century hyper-sexualized culture, you'd say, that's a little crass. I mean, I know that's a big part of the deal, but can we tone down the language a little bit? Rewind 3,000 plus years in this hyper-traditional, hyper-patriarchal society, and do you see how out of line this is? Well, what it's trying to show is, I mean, Jacob is love-blind, or better said, he's lust-blind. I mean, all he is thinking about is sex and her body, and he's desperate, and he's driven by it, and he's not thinking straight. It's made him crazy. This, and you may say, well, I don't deal with lust like that. Good for you. The question is, what do you deal with? I have known many people in full-time ministry. Ministry is their idol, which seems like much more of a domesticated idol to have, right? Better to worship ministry than sex. But it can be just as damaging. Because I've seen people like trying to recruit somebody to go on a mission trip with them for the summer. And the young student says, but my mom's dying of cancer. And I'm not making this up. And the minister says, well, don't worry about that. You know, it'll be fine. Just, you need, you need to go on this mission trip if you have faith. And it's like, I, I'm not sure that's the best advice. You know what's going to happen? You take this young girl overseas for two months and her mom dies. You think that's going to work out well for her faith and her walk with Jesus? You might better back off a little bit. Why are you so desperate to recruit this young lady to go on the mission trip? Is it really because you care about lost heathen, you know, overseas? Or you want this girl's heart for the world to grow, or is it more about you're trying to build your name and fame and success by having a big ministry team? Does that make sense? Guys, this can happen anywhere. Idols make you dumb. Okay? In verse 21, the word give there, it, it implies desperation. It's the same. You remember later, you know, there's a story of Joseph and the famine and the bread when people would come to Joseph and say, give us bread. It's that same kind of desperation. I need it. I'm desperate. I'm needy. Okay? Gotta have it. Now, your idol won't love you back. Look what's going to happen. Verse 22, Laban gathered all the men of the place and he made a feast. Now in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him and Jacob went into her. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came about in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? And just pause again, because we're like, Come on, you know, I'm a good Christian. I believe the Bible's true, but this has got to be made up. How did this happen? Again, hyper-traditional, patriarchal society. She would have been heavily veiled. Almost certainly, the feast included getting drunk. So Jacob's probably hammered out of his gourd. And there's no artificial lighting like we have today. And guys, 
Keller, maybe this is what, he, he's good at so many things, but on idolatry, he might be the best. And part of what he says is, anytime you worship your idol, you think you're going to bed with Rachel, and you wake up with Leah. There will always be a ground note of cosmic disappointment. Even when you get what you think you wanted, and it was going to satisfy the depths of your soul, it'll never be enough. And you just got to learn that. Let me, let me give you a practical example of maybe how you fight this, okay? Uh, this, this was me, I don't know, two or three years ago, and I had somebody say, hey, I heard this sermon by a guy online. It was to college students, and it was about dating, and it was awesome. You should listen to it. It was just incredible. And that's a lot, you know, it's like I tell people, well, really what we do in Camps Outreach is we try to talk to people about Jesus, but really what we want to talk about is dating, so we, we talk about dating, you know, as much so we can get to talk about Jesus. So I was like, great, I need to listen to it. So I'm listening to it, it's really good, but I'm just, I'm, here are the honest thoughts going through my mind. It's like, I've, I've taught a lot of sermons on dating. And honestly, I think I've taught one that's even better than this one. And then my thought is, why, why is this guy becoming famous for his dating sermon? And I, you know, in my, you see the idolatry starting to happen in my heart? Now, I don't always have a spirit-filled day, but by God's grace, I was having a spirit-filled day that day. And here's what I did. I caught myself. I said, wait a second. You know what? Even if I had some dating sermon that was going viral online right now, it wouldn't satisfy the depths of my soul. And I was able to catch myself and say, don't go down that way of thinking because it'll ruin you. But guys, we got to learn how to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ like that. Okay? Listen, there's so much stuff here. It's not, listen, if, 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 if sex is your idol, and it tends to be for a lot of people, even if you're like, I'm not looking at porn, I'm not doing that bad stuff, I'm faithful in marriage. Okay, praise the Lord, right? But if, if sex is your idol, and even if you're faithful in marriage, you realize what you can do to your spouse? This tends to be more of a male struggle, although not always. I mean, your wife can just feel used all the time. He didn't really like me. He just likes what I can provide. And that will go very bad in your marriage. Um, I, I read a story about a Navy SEAL one time. This guy had grown up, little boy, always wanted to be a Navy SEAL. It was very interesting. He said, the day I got my trident, right, when he officially became a Navy SEAL, he said it was the best and the worst day of my life. Because that's what I'd always wanted, and I got it. I accomplished it, but he said, and I was totally unsatisfied. It totally let me down. He went to bed with Rachel. He thought he did. He got Rachel. But he woke up, and he's like, no, no, no. It's Leah. It never will satisfy the depths of your soul. And guys, you know, again, doing so much college ministry, most college students don't see this, right? Early 20s, they still kind of have all this optimism, and I got all these dreams, and I, you know, marriage is out. It's like, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to be so happy. And even, you know, you tack Jesus on, right? It's like, I'm going to get a godly wife, a you know, godly job. We're going to do godly stuff together, godly vacations, godly money. It's going to be awesome. And then somewhere about where you guys are at, right? kind of mid-30s, you start having little kids, and you're like, I mean, I love Jesus, and I love my family, but it ain't all it's cracked up to be. It's not one perpetual honeymoon. It's often hard. And I'm just telling you, the older you get, the more that cosmic ground note of disappointment will set in to the degree that you keep looking at horizontal created things, even the best things, to make you happy. I told my wife this morning, you know, we had a great date last date night last night, and I told her this morning, and I meant it. From, came from Virginia place, I said, "Babe, 
you're the second best thing in my life. <laughs> and she, and she, she's like, thank you. Right? Because that's a, listen, that's a safe and happy place to be, right? If I'm like, you're the best thing in my life, and she's wise, she's like, I don't want to be the best thing in your life. Because that's a crushing burden I can't bear. All right. And you think, well, why didn't, why didn't I, Jacob, protest this? Well, he kind of did, but Laban, again, is the master manipulator and shuts him down, verse 26. But Laban said, it is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. You see what he's doing there? He's like, hey, Jacob, it's been seven years. I heard the story about what you did to your big brother Esau. We don't put the younger before the firstborn here. It was a shot across the bow verbally, and Jacob took it, and he just shut his mouth. Your sin, guys, will come back to haunt you. Certainly when you haven't repented of it, you haven't reconciled, you haven't dealt with it. So, Jacob, right? He has a little bit more of a scandalous sin, right? Sexual sin. Now, let's look at Leah. She's much sweeter. She's much more domesticated. And yet, she's an idolater nonetheless. Genesis 29, starting verse 27. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve me for another seven years. So like basically, have your honeymoon, you get back, I'll give you, Rachel, the one you want, but then I got you locked in for another year of seven years of slavery. Right? Laban's getting his money too. Verse 28, Jacob did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. Now, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Now as I read through these next verses, here's all I want you to be thinking. What's Leah's idol? Verse 33, Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, He has therefore given me this son also. She said, So she named him Simeon. Verse 34, She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi. What's Leah's idol? Her husband. She, listen, she's got her husband's body. But she knows, I don't really have his love. I don't have his affection. This is side note marriage advice. The best, best marriage advice for husbands I've ever gotten in my whole life. My dad gave me years ago. He said, listen, what every godly woman wants is to know that she's the second greatest priority in your whole life, second only to Jesus. I think that's true. And Leah felt that, and she knew I ain't number one, even though I'm popping out the babies, which was a big deal back then. And she's popping out male heirs. That's super big deal. He really loves my younger sister better. It was killing her. Now, you got to give this to Leah. At least, right, at least she is wrestling with it in a God-centered way. She's praying about it. She's thinking about it. God, help me. Give me a child. And then, listen, one of the best things you can do if you know you're struggling with an idol, don't lie about it. Don't hide about it. Pray about it. Right? Even if you know it's an idol. God, I know this is an idol. I know I want it too much. Right? But I'm I'm still going to talk to you about it. That's one, of the, that's one of the stupidest things we do is like, well, i got this sin issue, uh, so I'm just going to try to stuff it. I'm not even going to talk to God about it. God knows what's going on. You might as well talk to him about it because a lot of times in the wrestling it out with him, that's where we really get transformed. Does that make sense? Okay. So at least she's doing that right. 
but she keeps having the kids and it never satisfies. Again, even when you get what you want. And guys, I hope you're soaking this in. We're not looking at this morning the idolatry of being a heroin addict. We're talking about good stuff. Like, I want my husband to love me. That's a great desire. But if you exalt it above, I want to experience the love of Christ, it'll ruin you. You can have the most domesticated white-collar idol in the world, and it can be just as deadly, if not more, than a heroin addiction. Because everybody knows a heroin addiction is bad. A lot of people aren't as clear that it's wrong to be so addicted to wanting your spouse to love you. Does this make sense? Now look at verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son. This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah and she stopped bearing. So it's like, you see what happens in verse 35? She's kind of like, I've kind of given up on Jacob ever loving me. I'm just going to worship the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. That's where real healing real spiritual transformation starts to happen when you say, I'm going to quit seeking satisfaction, security, significance, and the created good gifts, and I'm just going to worship the Lord and find my deepest joy there. And then you're freed up to kind of have the good gifts and enjoy them, but not be addicted to them, not be controlled by them. Okay. Um, let me give this illustration. Okay, this is kind of a made-up one, but you know, go back again to the uh, you're in the engagement stage, and let's say your fiance takes you home to meet all their high school friends. And there's like one random high school friend, you know, and, you know, I'll, I'll tell this from the male perspective, you know, and maybe my fiance says, oh, yeah, this is this girl in class. I never even really knew her or liked her. I don't even know why she came to this party, but hey, meet so-and-so. Hey, and then I hear, so-and-so hates me. So-and-so thinks I'm fat and ugly and stupid and, you know, have bad breath. And, and I'm like all upset about, your, your old friend from high school hates me. And, I, and, you know, and I'm like getting down on myself and, all sad, my fiance would probably be like, why do you care about what some random friend from high school that I don't even really know or care about or talk to thinks about I love you. That's all that should matter. Right? You, you see? Here's the thing. If, if it's really true that we're in Christ, that God said, I love you so much, I'm willing to slaughter my son to have you. What every other person on planet Earth thinks about us ought to almost not matter. It ought to just pale in comparison. Now, I think most of us can get there pretty quick theologically. Getting there practically tomorrow if your boss hates you or your wife or your husband is in a season where they really don't enjoy you, that's a lot easier said than done, is it not? But guys, that's the fight of faith that to the degree we get there, there's so much freedom. There's so much freedom. And here's another side note. Then you can move out into life looking to love and minister and serve others and not always going out into life desperate and hungry. Just, I hope somebody's nice to me today. Really hard to be very effective at ministering to other people when you're so weak and needy and desperate. You're just fishing for a compliment all day long. Now let's look at Rachel. Okay? And, and here's part of what you're going to notice. So many times, and, and I've seen this the most, it's, it's interesting being a father or a mother of multiple children. Because in some places, it's, it's, it's a little bit like being in the place of God. 
Because one of your children might come to you and like, Dad, it's not fair. Why does my brother never study? And he makes straight A's. And I have to study all the time. And I make straight C's. And then the exact same brother over here might be coming to you. Dad, why can my brother drink milkshakes for breakfast? And he has six-pack abs, right? And I'm always on a strict diet. And I stay overweight. And it's like, what each of them has is not what they want. They want what the other one has. And me as dad, they were like, he's got the better deal. No, no, he's got, right? They don't talk to each other. They talk to me. And what I know is, buddy, if you had exactly what he wanted, it wouldn't satisfy the depths of your soul. You need to be happy in Jesus, right? And, you know, that's hard for us to process. What do you think a 12-year-old does with that? It's like, whatever, dad. No. <laughs> so there's some parenting tips for you. Uh, just fast and pray okay, and hope for the best. So look at Rachel, Right? Rachel has what Leah wants, right? All the affection, all the love, all the warmth, all the adoration. Rachel's got it. You think Rachel's happy? Chapter 30, verse 1. But when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children, else I die. That might be the clearest statement of idolatry in the whole Bible. Life isn't worth living if I can't have blank. I'd rather die. (laughs) Look at Jacob's response. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who is withheld from you the fruit of the womb? You see, when you're idolizing somebody, you're basically saying to them, Be God to me. And they don't live up to that. It crushes them. It will embitter them. Does that make sense? It's not fair. It's not right. It will turn you into competitors with your best friends. You'll be coveting all the time. I had a friend who works for Campus Outreach, and you know, he went to a great university, went to a business school, smart guy, could have had a great business career, but he chose to work for Campus Outreach and raise money full-time. Okay? And none of his friends really chose to do that. They all went off and very successful businessmen, and they all like to play golf. And once a year, they go on this really nice golf trip. Okay? And they always take him. They pay for everything. It was awesome. But he was talking to me one time. He said, man, I was on this golf trip. He said, in one sense, it's awesome. We're playing like some of the nicest courses in the country. We're eating amazing food, and it's all free for me. He said, but honestly, the whole week I'm struggling. Because I know i got guys, they're, they're millionaires now, right? they got lake houses and all this stuff, and i got nothing. And he's like, the whole time, he's like, I'm kind of struggling with some envy and some jealousy. But these are all Christian guys, so I think the last night they kind of had a little prayer and sharing time. And one of the other guys, like one of his buddies, right, making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, got everything that he's kind of lusting after, so to speak, says, man, I just wish I had a job where every day I went to work and I really loved what I did and I was passionate about it and I got to work with my best friends. And my buddy in ministry was sitting there, he's like, well, that's, that's, that's what I have. You see what I'm saying? We, we look across the aisle and we say, if I just had what he had, if I just had what she had, then I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. I'm just trying to save me and you. It's like, only to the degree that I look at Yahweh and I praise Him and I rest, that's when you're happy. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 3. She said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her that she may bear on my knees that through her I too may have children. So she gave her, her maid Bilhah as a wife and Jacob went into her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has vindicated me. 
and has indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore she named him Dan. Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived and bore again and bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings I have wrestled and with my sister and I have prevailed. Do you see the competition that's going on here? Okay. Um, so, but she's not going to be happy. Now, skip down to verse 20. Um, no, verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son. God has taken away my reproach. Now just think about that phrase for a second. Okay. When, when we look to idols, what are we really wanting the idol to do? We're wanting the idol to love us back. We're wanting the idol to listen to the kind of desires of our heart, hear our pleas and answers. And we're wanting the idol to lift the burdens off our back, lift the reproach, lift the shame off of our back. Isn't it? I want to feel loved. I want to feel heard. I want to feel seen. I want to feel cared for. And I want the sense of shame and guilt and loathing, self-loathing or maybe other people, to be gone. And created things can't do it. Jacob doesn't end really well in this story. He'll end well later. Uh, Rachel doesn't end very well in this story. Laban doesn't end well. Lee is the only one who kind of has a breakthrough. And did you notice when she had the breakthrough? Is when she had a little boy named Judah. Who's going to be the great, 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 great granddaddy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the one that loves us perfectly? Who is the one that listens to all the cries and pleas of our heart? And who is the one who lifts all the shame, all the reproach off our back? And so guys, to the degree that practically we are worshiping Him, experiencing Him, rejoicing in Him, I'm not saying that you're going to be skipping around singing zippity-doo-dah all day long. I'm not saying life will always be easy. There will still be pain. There will still be suffering. There will still be bumps in the road. But you'll be able to move through it with a real, like an undercurrent of joy in your heart. That's the key. That's the key. Daily worshiping. Daily feasting. Daily letting Him minister to you in a fresh way from your Word. From His Word. Lord Jesus, we're so weak. We're so needy. Uh, in so many ways, we're, we're blind. We're enslaved by different things. We have bought the devil's lies. Would you have mercy on us? Would you have fresh mercy? Would you forgive our sinful pursuits of idols? Would you convict us? Whether they're more scandalous idols, like pornography and drunkenness, or whether they're more domesticated idols, like just having a good name and reputation. And would we not just be going through the motions, coming to church, waking up early, reading our Bibles, but may there be real intimacy, real worship, real feasting of our soul upon you so we'd be satisfied, we'd be safe in you, and we could rest. We pray this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.